Just to give you a timeline concerning this message I'm going to be delivering to you, is that we're going to be starting up the northern hills of Galilee, the eastern shores of the Sea of Galilee, and we'll spend three days there with Jesus and see what he does and what happens. Then we're going to go back about just over 30 years to the southern part of Israel, to the town of Bethlehem, and see what takes place there one night and see how that has influenced our holidays today. So that's the timeline we're going to be having in this message to you. We start then with Jesus stepping out of his boat and stepping onto the shore of the Sea of Galilee on the eastern side of that sea or lake. Now, this was his destination. He had come all the way from Capernaum by boat. And on the way, you know, there was a huge storm that hit that boat. And the disciples woke him up in a panic and said, Lord, don't you care we're going to perish? And Jesus woke up and said to the storm, lie down. Lie down. Go to sleep. That's what the literally Greek word means there. And that's exactly what happened in a flash. And of course the disciples were amazed that this man who could even command the waves and the seas and they obey him. But here he is and he steps on board or steps on shore onto dry land. He had come to meet a certain man. A man that you would not like to meet. You'd think he'd come there to uh, meet some dignified person or some leading VIP of the area. No, he's come to meet a man who was possessed by many demons. These demons had driven him to live alone amongst the local tombs, the local graveyard. He was a wild character. They tried to chain him, but they couldn't. He just broke the chains. His beard was long. It was full of saliva. His eyes were big. He was always screaming and shouting and cutting himself with stones. He was uncontrollable. Yet this is the man that Jesus Christ had taken all the trouble to cross the lake and to come and to see and to help this man and to deliver him from the clutches of the devil. And when this man saw Jesus, an amazing thing is that he was attracted to him like a magnet, but not to get help, but to express his fear of wanting Jesus to leave him. So he comes and prostrates himself before Jesus and screams at the top of his voice. He says, what did you come to do with me, Jesus? You, the Son of God, have you come to torment me before the time comes? Please don't torture me. Now, of course, this is, these are the demons that are speaking through this man. But Jesus is commanding those demons to leave this man. And they say, yes, we'll leave, but please let us go to those pigs over there. And there were 2,000 pigs eating. And Jesus commanded the demons to go to the pigs. And the pigs stormed down that hill into the Sea of Galilee and drowned. Of course, the demons didn't drown. They departed into the heavenlies to get the new consignment or new assignment from the devil himself. And then when the people saw this, they were amazed. They said, no, this is too much for us. Please leave our area. I mean, you've spoiled our pig farming and he has this man miraculously delivered. Please, Jesus, leave our area. And Jesus goes. But this man who is now delivered is sitting at Jesus' feet, healed, restored, delivered in his right mind. He's clothed. He's now a gentleman of the day. And now he wants to go with Jesus. But Jesus says, no, you go back to your hometown and you tell them the great things that God has done for you. And he turns around in obedience and he goes back. Isn't that so true of God's calling on your life? That when he calls you, it's always to go against the stream. It's always to go against the grain. It's always to go against the wind. 
It's always to go against popular opinion, to go and tell people what Jesus has done for you. Not to brag, but to brag about Jesus who has saved you, that he can do the same for the people who need him. And so he goes back. And so did his testimony bear any fruit? Well, you better did. He, he through his sharing, he, he instilled into people such a hunger and a thirst for the living God that when Jesus came back a few months later, they said, hey, he's back. He's just over there, over the hill there. Come on, let's take our blind. Let's take our deaf. Let's take our paralyzed. Let's take our sick. Let's take them to them because he will do for them what he did for that man who was once possessed. And so Jesus met them. And guess what happened? There was a healing and miracle crusade that lasted for three days. Can you believe that? A miracle and healing crusade that lasted three days as these people came and wanted to meet Jesus and for them, for him to heal his, the sick. Then the end of the third day, he feeds all those thousands from just a few loaves of bread. Well, friends, let me read it to you. You know, it's much, much better for you to re hear the story than for me to tell it to you. All right? It's always better to come from the Word of God itself. So let's read these verses together from Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Listen to the Word of the Lord. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. There, then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the dumb, and the many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the dumb speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on these people. They have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want him to send them away hungry, or they may collapse along the way. His disciples answered, Where? Could we get enough bread in this remote place for all these people? Lord, what are you saying to us? And Jesus said, how many loaves do you have? Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them, gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterwards, the disciples picked up the seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate were 4,000 men beside women and children. After Jesus had set or sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magdalene. The title for the sermon is The Feeding, or The Healing, I should say, The Feeding and the Christmas Story. The Healing, The Feeding, and the Christmas Story. Or, if you like, Three Days and a Night, Never to be Forgotten. Three Days and a Night always to be remembered. You know, the great similarity between the feeding of the 5,000, which took place just before this, and the feeding of the 4,000, which we've just read about, is that the similarity between the two is that the healing took place before the feeding. The healing took place before the feeding. And so out of this passage of Scripture from Matthew chapter 15, I just want to bring out two main thoughts before we go further. And so... These people re re reasoned in their minds that if Jesus could heal that demonic man from those demons, then he can do the same for our sick and needy. And so they came in their thousands 
And Jesus met them and sat down. And as he sat down, they brought the needy. And Matthew picks out four specific miracles that Jesus did here. At his feet, first of all, they laid the dumb. They get up and they can speak fluently. And they praise the God of Israel. They lay before him also the crippled. And they stand up, strong, straight, and they praise the God of Israel. They lay before him the lame, who couldn't walk, maybe had a whole life. Suddenly, their feet, their ankles, their legs are strong again. And they're dancing and jumping around and praising God. Also the blind. Jesus ministers to them. Their eyes are open. They've got 20-20 vision. They can see him who has healed them. They can see now God's creation. And they are amazed and so thankful. And as I thought of these miracles, I thought of my conversion and your conversion. Before you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, you were dumb spiritually. You knew nothing really about the love of God or the life of God or the gospel of Jesus Christ. You were dumb. You never spoke for Jesus. If you did mention his name, it was blasphemy. But when you came to know him, oh, your mouth was cleansed, your heart was renewed. He gave you a new one and you could now speak for him. Same thing with your feet. You didn't walk in his ways. You walked in your ways. You said your ways are okay. Your ways are the ways of righteousness. No, you, they weren't. They were the ways to destruction. But when you converted, you saw that. And you changed your whole mind and attitude and direction in life. You gave your life to Christ. And now your feet are walking on the paths of righteousness. You've got a different lifestyle. You're now pleasing God. And so you can think also of those who were crippled who couldn't walk. Now your walk is totally different. Now you've come to know the Lord. And so with these miracles taking place, the hills are alive, not to the sound of music. You can go to the theater in the bay and watch the sound of music. It's on at the moment. No, what was being sung on those hills that day was praises to the God of Israel. Because God had come to visit his people in him who is greater than Moses to come and show that he is the expected Messiah and saviour of the world. I just want you to note here three things about his miracles. First of all, they mentioned in the Old Testament. They mentioned in the Old Testament. Isaiah, some seven, eight hundred years before what took place here in Matthew's Gospel, says this in chapter 35, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, the mute tongue will shout for joy. And there you can see it being fulfilled on this very day on the hills of eastern Galilee. Yes, they mentioned in the Old Testament, but they're also manifested in the New Testament. In Jesus Christ, the Son of God and no one else. Yes, he's the sea walker. He's the blind man healer. He's a leopard cleansing man from Galilee. He's the sole savior. He's the one who set me free. Oh, my dear friend. Oh, fellow Christian. Let's take his hand and follow him. Because God has spoken once and for all in his son, Jesus Christ. And he is the final word and revelation of God to us. Then also, not only are they mentioned in the Old Testament and manifested in the New Testament, but they are maintained in the church. God's healing ministry is to be maintained in the church. We are his eyes, his hands, his feet, his tongue. He is the Lord. He doesn't change. He still heals today. When you pray for sick people, his grace goes to work to give strength and healing. 
I love that verse in Hebrews 13, verse 8, the way Selwyn Hughes translates it. He says this, What he was, he is, and what he is, he was, and what he is and was, he will ever be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Therefore, Church of Jesus here today, let's be reminded, God has not stopped healing paralytic people. He has not stopped giving sight to blind people. He still does it. In fact, the Bible gives us a wonderful model to do this, and that is, James says, is anyone sick among you? And the Greek word for the sick is, is, is anyone tired among you? You know, when you're sick, you get very tired. You've got no energy. Is any among you with no energy? He says, then call for the elders of the church. Oh, I thought you call upon the name of the Lord. Yes, you do, of course. But you call for the elders of the church. Not for one elder, for two or three elders to come and to pray, not with you, over you, and to anoint you with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. And if that person has committed any sins, they shall be forgiven and forgotten. What a model to practice as a church. Our elders are available 24-7. I hope they don't mind me saying that. Any day of the week. If you're sick and you need prayer, call for the elders of the church. I believe you'll see results because you're doing things God's way. And so the miracles of the healing. And I believe as I've been speaking and as, as people have been testifying and as we've been praising the Lord, I believe that the word of the Lord is busy healing even, even now. Ministering to someone's mind, heart, soul, body. Ministering to you. Because the Bible says he sent out his word and he healed them. And I believe that's what's happening. Every time the word of God is preached here, the word of God is going out and healing, delivering, saving, giving you the courage to step out and to follow the Lord. But quickly, I must move on. The miracle of the feeding now, not the healing, but the feeding of the hungry, verses 30 to 39. You know, I like it when you read a magazine or newspaper and you see two identical pictures, but then it says at the top, spot the difference. Now, when it comes to the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 men, it looks identical, but obviously it's not. First of all, the numbers are different. And also, when it comes to the 5,000, they sat on grass. In this case, they didn't sit on grass. The 5,000 was a little boy's lunch that was used to multiply the food. In this case, it was the disciples' seven loaves. In the 5,000, it was a Jewish area. It was mostly Israelites. In this area, it was Gentile, Greeks. That's why there were pigs there. It wasn't a Jewish area. And so we can go on. You can look at the differences for yourselves when you study your Bibles. But this is the point I'm making by bringing out the differences here. Because you might be thinking, but I'm so different to other people. I'm not like other people. They are higher up the ladder than me. They're more educated. I, I'm not of their race. I, I don't speak their language. I'm, not, I'm just, I'm a, I've got a different culture. I'm from a different country. Can the Lord really and truly meet the deep longings of my heart and soul? Yes, because you are a candidate for God's amazing grace. Yes, you are. No differences that lie between you and others can prevent and stop the Lord from saving you, delivering you, blessing you, uplifting you, encouraging you, leading you, and changing your life into a trophy of his grace. Nothing can stop the Lord. Nothing. I mean, if he can get this man delivered from demons, how much more can he not deliver you from your predicament? 
But let's see how this all works. First of all, look what happens. First thing Jesus expresses here is his will. He says to his disciples, listen, I don't want these people to leave here. They're hungry, and if I leave them now and they go away, they're going to collapse along the way. We've got to feed them. Come on, chaps, we've got to feed them. <laughs> oh, Peter, James, John, and the rest of them think, and they look around at their situation. And that's so typical of us, isn't it? When you know what the Lord wants you to do and where he wants you to go, we sort of panic and think, well, how are we going to do it? We're the means. And all they can offer Jesus is a puny few loaves of bread. And don't forget, the loaves in those days were like our little cupcakes, small. And so that's all they can give to Jesus. But hang on a second. They should have remembered. He just fed the 5,000 before this. They should remember that he turned water into wine. They should remember that, that the God and Father of the Lord Jesus had fed nearly one and a half million people for nearly 40 years in the desert. Didn't starve. But yet Jesus still asked them, well, what have you got? And all they're going to give to Jesus is those seven little loaves. And now the faith of Jesus goes to work. His faith brings the disciples into line with his will. All about what he said and what he did. First of all, Jesus. And let me give you these in bullet form, first of all. This is the bullet forms. First of all, he receives. He returns. He reduces. He removes. And he releases. First of all, he receives. He receives the seven loaves. And so whatever you can give to Jesus, give it to him. No matter how small it might be. No matter how ridiculous it might be in the light of the need, give it to him. Put it in his hands. Trust him with it. I mean, Moses just had a staff in his hand. And look what he did with that staff. He split the Red Sea. Hit the rock and water came out. It was God, of course, but the rod was a symbol of his authority in God's service. David had a sling, a catty. That's all he needed for the victory. Paul, little Paul, how are you going to bring the gospel to Europe? Oh, would, Paul would answer like this. You see, my name was Saul, which means called by people. But now God has called me. People haven't called me. God has called me. Therefore, the S has dropped away and the P has taken its place. I'm now Paul, little, but God is big. God is big. He's greater. I can do all things through Christ who keeps on strengthening me. And then Jesus reduces the bread. He takes those loaves and he breaks them into small pieces. Twelve small pieces. And he gives John, Peter, Bartholomew, Thomas, and he gives everyone his disciples a piece of that bread. And in, and in breaking that bread, Jesus is breaking off the limitations of that bread. He's breaking the limitations of that bread. And that's what I see when I come to communion here once a, a month. I come broken, but I leave emboldened. Because... God has broken off limitations of my life. And I, I don't know about you, but don't I don't know about you, but I need limitations to be broken off my life. Don't you? I've been a Christian for some fifty years now. And I still need God's work in my life. So that the potential that God has put into my life may continue to reach its heights. God has got more heights for me. Even though I had to wait till sixty five to retire and not fifty eight. And by the way, Baptist pastors are wait till 70 now. <laughs> but 
Nevertheless, God has got more for us. And so God breaks these limitations. And as the disciples took that little piece of bread, they went to the first person they saw and they gave it to them. And as they did so, the miracle happened. Where did the miracle happen? In their hands. In their hands. That's where it took place. That's why Jesus wants to do miracles through his body, the church. Through individual Christians like yourself, who are obedient to his word who take what is insignificant, but you know that what you've received from the Lord is limitless and boundless and full of potential. And when you give it to somebody in the name of Jesus, you'll see miracle-working power of God multiplying what you give to all who need it and are calling for it. So these people were served and became people who were satisfied with their meal, no one was dissatisfied because 12 men obeyed and gave. So we've covered the healing. We've covered the feeding. Let's come to the Christmas holidays now. Oh, the Christmas holidays. What can we say? I call it the crush and the rush time, the silly season, where people eat too much, speed too much, spend too much, and people generally just lose a bit of self-control. Christmas time. That should not be, but it is the case. And so my call this morning is that we are not to be caught up with the spirit of the holidays, but with the spirit of God. That as things in the church close down, and I understand why, I understand why, and I'm all for holidays and gifts and seeing family and so on, but as things close down, Bibles are not read so much, prayer is said less, witnessing is also something we don't always do as we should, and we wonder why conversions drop over Christmas time, and why the devil seems to be on the loose at Christmas time. I'll just leave that with you to think about. But let it not be this Christmas, as you as an individual Christian, as a church, the classic congregation of Pinelands Baptist. Let's put our foot to the floor. Let's hold out the light of the gospel as never before. And let's have a special Christmas. We will be unashamed and loving to all we meet that we may give the gospel out at every opportunity. And so we know from Luke chapter 2, where did God have his son to be born? In a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. The house of subsidence. Hasn't bread been predominant in the sermon so far? He fed the 4,000 plus the women and children. And Bethlehem, the house of bread. Now I have John's Gospel with me here. It's a little booklet I keep with me. I get it from the Bible Society and I've given hundreds of these out and my wife has as well. It's called Bread of Life, John's Gospel. And in this Gospel, chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will ne never hunger. And he who believes in me will never thirst. You will be satisfied like those people were after eating that miraculous bread. And Jesus went on to say that no man can come to me unless the Father draws him. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Chapter 10 of John's Gospel. And they shall never perish. I give them eternal life. 
and they follow me. And no man can pluck them out of my hand. And this little booklet is, not only is it John's Gospel, but the front shows you how you can come and be introduced to Jesus. How you come to know Him. And at the back it tells you what to do after you become a Christian. How you can grow in grace. And so, just as I believe God is healing people through His Word here this morning, I also believe that God is drawing people to Himself. And if God is speaking to you to come to Jesus, you can be assured of this. He'll never say, stay away. He'll never say, come later. He will minister to you on the spot. He will give you all his love. He's shown it to you on the cross already. And you can be assured that if you give your life to him, his life will be your life. And you will then be on the road to eternal life. And you'll have peace with God. And so if you want this little booklet as a token of your commitment to Christ this morning, please don't go out that door quickly. Come to the front and I'll wait here and I'll give you one. Even if you want one just to share with someone else. Maybe there's a friend that you want to share this with somebody. You can have one on condition, you give it away. How's that? You can read it, of course, but you give it away. So, all right, you see me afterwards, should you want a booklet. Now, listen to what happens on that first Christmas Eve. Oh, and by the way, it was not the 24th of December. It was probably late September, the first Christmas Eve. Happened there in sleepy Bethlehem. Please remember that the people of Bethlehem and the people of Israel had been waiting some 400 years for the Messiah to come. Malachi promised that he would come with a forerunner. And he would come with healing in his wings. There it is again. And they've been waiting for 400 years. Long time to wait, eh? God is not in a rush. God knows exactly when to come and how to do it. And so on this night in Bethlehem, just as hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of young girls that were hoping to be the one to bear the Son of God, the Messiah, there was a young 16-year-old girl, Mary, who was already expecting the Messiah through the Holy Spirit. But to the people of Bethlehem, they didn't know. And so everything was normal. As the sun set, the people were preparing to go to bed, Shepherds came out as the sun set to look after and look over their sheep because at night it was very dangerous for the sheep. That's when the wolves and the lions would attack. And so they settled down to enjoy another night, another night of looking after the sheep. But before the sun rose on that day, a seismic, cataclysmic shaking would take place and Bethlehem would never be the same again. It would now be the most, one of the most famous cities and towns on this planet. Because during that night, breaking news took place. Oh, friends, when you listen to the radio and you watch your television news, breaking news, breaking news. Listen, friends, it's always bad news. But yeah, it's the supernatural breaking into the natural. Yeah, there is an angelic being. Probably Gabriel coming from the realms of grace and glory, coming into this world and announcing breaking news as, as, as the glory of God shone upon those hills and focused on those shepherds. Those poor shepherds were so bong, they were so afraid. I mean, so would you be if an angel appeared to you in glory. And they were shaking their, fa their faces to the ground. And the angel's first words were, 
fear not. Those are the words of Christmas. Those are the first words of Christmas. Yes, it, Mary and Joseph had words spoken from God before this, but this is the first public announcement, and the words were, fear not. Oh, hallelujah. Fear not. What are you fearing this Christmas? As you see the events taking place in the Middle East, as you see events in this country, as you see these so-called prophets who tell you what's going to happen, they're always feeding you with, you know, the bad side of things. I listen to these people talking economy and on, on Radio 567, and it's always depressing. They've got no news for you. But friends, God has good news for you. Don't fear. Be like that man in Psalm 112, verse 7. He says, he has no fear of bad news because his heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. You see, when you fear God, you don't fear bad news. When you respect God and believe in him, in a sense, bad news just bounces off you. Yes, you know all about it. Yes, you, you, you take actions and so on, but it doesn't come part of you, it doesn't grip you because your whole heart is being gripped by God's grace and you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then what takes place? More angels join this angel. And they all begin to sing, Glory to God in the highest. Peace to all men and women on whom his favor rests. I wonder if you realize that those words are on your one rand coin. Hmm? Did you know that? I've got one here, and you'll see it in Latin. Solo Dio Gloria, to God be the glory. That's exactly what the Christmas message is. That's exactly what those angels sang. To God be the glory. Great things he has done. So lovely this world that he gave us his son. And yielded his life as atonement for sin. And opened the life gate that all may go in. It's on your one rand coin. That's why when I pay cash and someone gives me change and I see a one rand piece, I always jump in and say, hey, listen, look what's written here. Do you know what's written here? And I share the gospel with them quickly. I mean, situation allowing me to, obviously. So there, the government's given you a tract, a metal one, that you can use. To God be the glory. And then also, this is the currency of South Africa. The currency. Whether you've got a million of these or just one, it's the currency. And the currency of God's kingdom is faith. It's trust in the Lord. Our brother mentioned Proverbs chapter 3. Don't trust in yourself. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And then also silver is the metal of redemption in the Bible. That's why silver is often mentioned before gold in the Bible. Because when someone purchased a slave and wanted to have them free, he paid in silver. Just like Judas did, but not for the same reason. And so there you have the one rand coin for you. But then lastly, let me just say this. Look what happens now. The shepherds say, hey, we've got to go and see this, which the Lord has told us about. And so they rush into Bethlehem. They find the manger. They see Joseph. They see Mary. But it's the baby that is the focus of attention. There was the baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a feeding trough. Not some nice basket that granny and grandpa made and all this type of thing. A feeding trough. That's where he lay. 
Then they left. And what did they do? They were so excited, they left, and they ran around all Bethlehem telling people about the great things they had seen and heard. And guess what? They became the first evangelists in the New Testament. The first evangelists in the New Testament. And we have to follow their footsteps as well. Because we are the evangelists. We have the evangel, haven't we? We've got the good news. And we need to share it with people. What about your story? We had a testimony this morning. What about your testimony? Just think of what your testimony could do. I mean, if that man who was saved by de from demons can have a story to tell, how much more when God worked through your story? The shepherds spoke about what they'd seen and heard. And the people of Bethlehem were amazed. And people will be amazed at the story you have to tell them as well. Friends, I just want to conclude by saying this. We've had quite a hilly sermon this morning, haven't we? Hmm? Very hilly. We've been up north in the hills of Galilee, where we were present with Jesus, witnessing what he did during those three days, and all those healings, and all those, that wonderful miracle. Then, going back 30-odd years, we've come to the hills of Bethlehem, where God's glory shone on. Yes, God didn't shine his glory on the hills of Jerusalem where the religious people were. He didn't shine his glory on the hills of Athens where the wise people were. He didn't shine his glory on the hills of Rome where the lawmakers were. He shone his glory on the hills of Bethlehem where the humble people were, where the shepherds were, because God gives grace to the humble, but the proud he resists. And then... Talking about hills, let's not forget the main hill. Just outside the city wall of Jerusalem, the hill Calvary, shaped like a skull. There the Lord of glory was crucified. And we may not have been there physically, but we were there nevertheless. There he died in our place. For the sake of his father's honor and for the sake of your eternal soul, he died for you. And when he died, before he gave up his spirit to his heavenly father, he shouted out, it is finished. The price has been paid. The books are balanced. And the way open is us, for us to enter into his presence because the temple was, the curtain there was torn from top to bottom, signifying that we can go into God's presence because of what he did on Calvary. And so my last words to you are these. Let anyone who wants to enjoy these Christmas holidays... Friends, I'm talking to fellow Christians. Let anyone who wants to enjoy these Christmas holidays, let him, let her deny themselves. Those selfish drives, those things which need to drop away out of our lives, those things which take away life, which we think give us life, which give us a quick fix and a quick thrill, deny yourself from those things. Instead, pick up your cross. Take up your cross. These are the words from Jesus, not mine. Take up your cross. Be identified with me, says Jesus. And be prepared to take flack for following Jesus Christ in this world today. Didn't he take flack for us when he went to Calvary? He took flack. Like no one could. 
No one has gone through such suffering as Jesus Christ. Let's be encouraged when we see that. His back was stripped to pieces through 39 lashes. They rammed crown of thorns on his head. They beat him with sticks. They mocked him and threw him around. Beat him up. Isaiah says he was not even recognizable. And then they strung him up on the cross. They nailed him there. But when he was on that cross, the physical suffering was one thing. But oh my. Ooh, the weight. The weight of our sins was placed upon him. My sin and your sin. And he cried out. Because our sins had separated him from God his Father. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the sun went out for three hours. As the wrath of God was poured out upon his son. In order that we could be delivered from that wrath. And instead receive his abundant grace and favor. We must never forget what it means to take up your cross. And then to follow him. And then to follow him. For Jesus went on to say, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. You say no to Jesus? You're losing your life. You're losing your soul. Eternally, my friends. But he who loses his life for me, says Jesus, will save it. Now, friends, I ask you, Am I wishing you a tough Christmas? You know this cross business? No, I'm not. I'm actually wishing you a triumphant Christmas. Because God triumphed over the cross. Jesus was not a victim. He was a victor. He conquered death for us. He conquered the evil one for us. And we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. That's why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians, he leads us in triumphant procession. The cross is all about triumph. 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 And so may you have a triumphant Christmas. That's my prayer for you all. Because you are a cross-bearing Christian. You've put your life right with God and you know that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. You've got the assurance of his promises on your side. Your Bible is becoming a book full of life. Because God's word is like active, it's quick and sharp, and knows all about us. And so that's my desire for you, that you'll have a triumphant Christmas, and that these Christmas holidays will see us as Christians standing our ground and ministering to people. If they need help, they need prayer, we can pray for them. Most of the healings Jesus gave were people who didn't know him, but he still healed them. But he wants you to know him.